Welcome to Decision Insights, a podcast produced for the University of Southern Queensland's Master of Business Administration. I'm Dr. Daniel Maddock, a Digital Pedagogy and Media Specialist and part of the MBA Design Team. In this podcast, we talk to leaders from a variety of industries about how they make decisions and why decision-making is fundamental to business performance and success. These interviews were recorded via the internet, so please keep this in mind as you listen to this episode. In this episode, we explore the concept of rationality and how it does not always reflect the realities of business decision-making. Often, decision-makers need to use intuition and gut instincts to make satisfactory rather than optimal decisions. Nia Yari Giam, Jaganba na Gayabu, Yarrawa peoples, Nia Toowoomba. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Gyabul and Yarrawa peoples in a place called Toowoomba. Leading fundraising teams of major not-for-profit organisations, a founder of his own multi-award winning startup, and more recently the CEO of the Children's Tumour Foundation, Richard Hughes knows how to make decisions under pressure. Each of those positions and the decisions Richard has made in them have led to outstanding results both on the balance sheet and in best practice that have continued on well after his departure. Richard currently serves as the CEO of the Ipswich Jets, who are the most prominent sporting club in the region, with elite sides competing statewide in rugby league and netball leagues. Richard Hughes, welcome to the show. Thanks, Daniel. Tell me a little bit more about your current role with the Ipswich Jets. Um, So I'm the CEO of the Ipswich Jets. Uh, Up to a long time, that was just rugby league, but uh, in the last couple of years, that also has incorporated netball as well. So we have a a lead and and grassroots program uh, for rugby league, and then we also have the same for netball as well. So I look after the the organisation, looks after both those codes. And from a management perspective... How does this job differ to jobs that you've had in the past? I guess with, with this particular role, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that I guess nobody can ever prepare you for. Um, there's so many facets to it. Um, there's so many stakeholders integrated into the day-to-day running of the business. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like every other sporting club out there. You have limited resources and, and you try to reach maximum potential with that. So it, it's a very different role in respects of there's a lot of aspects to it. Um, and you have to be as much as you can a master of as many trades as possible. Has your background in all sorts of different leadership roles that you've had prepared you for the role that you're in now when you talk about um, being multi-skilled, having to touch into different areas? Has that sort of impacted and and built you up to the position where you are now? Yeah, look, I think it's, I mean, I, I, I think back to when I was interviewed by the board for this role, and the skills are set, I guess they saw in me in taking this role on. And I, and I think further back to, to when I, you know, have, have done various roles that may not have been in my current sphere at the time. You know, the basics and prerequisites of, of any successful uh, position, I guess, is, is very much the same. The fundamentals are the same. And then it's just having relatable skills across. So, for example, you know, I've got an extensive uh, non-for-profit background. So that uh, enables me to make the most of having limited budgets um, and maximising potential in fundraising and um, hitting those targets in, in quite difficult circumstance a lot of the time. So that prepared me for, for that aspect. And then, you know, I spent 10 years, you know, running my own business, um, started that from scratch. So again, I understood the fundamentals of how it is to run a successful commercial business, doing it myself. And then again, all those skills combined 
to uh, enable me to, to take on this position, even though at the time you know, I had no necessary skills in sports admin nor you know, knowledge of the local area. Richard, in this podcast, we talk about being strategic in your approach to leadership and decision making. Can you tell me what, what does it mean to you to be strategic in decision making? To me, I think it's, I mean, obviously strategy and, and putting all that into place is, again, something that is, is crucial for, for business success. So you know, strategic approach to decision making to me is, you know, looking at the big picture, uh, looking at what it is that we need to achieve. And I guess it's the bigger decisions considering uh, everything as a whole, uh, not looking at one particular area. And there's certain things, for example, like operationally um, and in administration that are, if you like, routine decisions that need to be made. Um, but strategic decisions are all about achieving the strategy, whether it be you know, three-year, five-year, uh, ultimately working towards that goal and, and those decisions to, to help us get to those, to those points. Thanks for that, Richard. Um, that was a great start to the podcast, but now we've come to the part of this podcast where we discuss a significant decision um, from your business life. What have you brought to share with us today? I think it's obviously topical. It's, it's relevant and, and certainly in our sphere of industry. You know, COVID is something that obviously has hit the sports industry hard as, as it has every other business. And, and really, I guess, you know, to share, you know, when we're looking at this, whether it was one decision, but I guess where this really came to light was the fact that there were many decisions that had to be made um, through that uh, through that time, uh, through 2020, that again necessarily had to they had to be strategic decisions for the greater good, but not necessarily to our overall strategy, because in some respects that was put to one side, and right then and there, it's decisions that had to be made for the best of the business. So I think that you know COVID. And decisions we had to make around that through 2020 is something I'm happy to, to discuss here. Those COVID decisions, as you say, for many businesses, uh, for many CEOs, were almost instantaneous decisions. The news would come out and you had to, on the spot, with very little time to review operations, review, sit with a board and discuss these decisions. They had to be made very much straight away. So that trigger being COVID... How does that change the way that you make decisions then in, in such an instantaneous way, such a, a, a way of reflecting on something that's happening so fast, developing so fast? Look, I, th- I think one of the things, and this is, again, something that I've, you know, over the last year, as you talk to other businesses and, and share your experiences, I, mean, I think one of the crucial elements of that, and it really did show, is to have a level-headed approach to the situation. Um, certainly in March... 2020, we only played one game of, of rugby league um, and then it was all cancelled and our season was cancelled and we had no certainty about what would happen for the rest of the year. And it was very easy and very, uh, and, and nobody would have would have excused the fact that, you know, some people made some rash decisions based on, you know, really just uh, trying to cover their bases, not understanding what would happen next and making some, some snap decisions that would have longer term consequences um, for the rest of the year. So I think one of the first things that I did and took to this was, I guess, a level-headed approach. Secondly, I, I think that, you know, you have to have a collaborative approach. And something that I did was obviously keep our board up to date. And like every board, I mean, the, the board's a, a volunteer group of people, uh, experts in, in various elements of different industries. But they had their own concerns in their own working lives. But we met on a regular basis. And also my immediate team, uh, making sure they were 
uh, their mind was put at rest. And, and it's it's about confidence and leadership. And what I think, you know, got us through that time was having confidence in decision-making, being seen to be out there and leading, not to be under a stone, not to be running away, not to be making adverse decisions. And I think, you know, take a deep breath, take one step back, look at what's being put out in front of you and trying to control the uncontrollable in some respects. So uh, to me, that's how, you know, I was able to, to approach 2020. It sounds to me, Richard, like you were trying to find a way to be rational during a completely irrational situation. Yeah, look, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, we, we talk about strategic decisions. You know, as I said, you know, we had a, we, uh, funnily enough, just before COVID hit, I was just in a process of writing a new strategic plan for the next three to five years, uh, which I'd already tabled to the board for a provisional sign-off. Then COVID hit, and that almost, as I said before, got put to the side. And so what that enabled me to do was then almost look at what is our strategy for just the year? How do we get through to the end of our financial year? And for us in football, that's the end of October, uh, not a typical financial year. Um, So how do we get the Ipswich Jets through to the end of October, strong both in spirit, um, in culture, and also on the balance sheet? Um, And that was then, you know, that became my immediate strategy was how to to strategize around that. So your your strategy really became one of breaking it right down into much smaller components. Yeah, and I think, you know, when when I look at how how that was passed up, I mean, I I think, you know, the the first essential thing was communication. As I said at the start, you know, there's a lot of various stakeholders in in a sporting club and, you know, communication to both those stakeholders, both internal and external. Good communication, again, not scaremongering, not, you know, to make it as fact-based as, as possible. Um, communication was essential. You're dealing with emotion. I mean, there's, again, a lot of emotion, a lot of people, you know, uh, worried about their, their jobs. Um, and, again, not just our team, but also, you know, businesses that we relied on for, you know, years and, and decades. We're a community club, in, in essence. We're a non-for-profit um, organisation. So we rely on that support from corporate and, and uh, partners and sponsors. And, and so, you know, we, we had to be very aware of the struggles that everybody else was going through um, with our own position as well, uh, unsure. Um, you know, how to handle those those sponsors and partners, how to talk to them, how to help them as much as we could. Um, again, they were adapting to a new way of doing things. So, you know, we had a good soapbox and a good standpoint to be able to help them. Um, so we, we utilised that. Um, and also really understanding and begin very quickly. I'm, I'm lucky I've got a good team with me. And this isn't, this is certainly not all about me. I mean, uh, it's uh, just, just as a, as an offshoot to this, I saw an interesting documentary at the weekend about somebody who did a solo swim around the UK. And he was saying that he hates the term, the fact that he's a solo swimmer because without a whole uh, boat of people with him, supporting him as a support group, and there's no way he could attempt that by himself. So he hates the term, a solo attempt to, to swim, and, and the same applies here. Uh, whilst it's you know it's it's me talking about this, I mean very much. I had a team that came to the table, worked a lot of hours, came up with some innovative ideas, delivered some fantastic out of the box concepts, and maintained that confidence through um, our organisation and through our you know partners. So you know we were able to very much adapt and be flexible as the days and months went on. And it's, that's something that you you hear that has been seen, I think, throughout the COVID crisis. That that it's um, whole teams of people uh, at every strata that have have been putting in extra 
to help get through this situation, not just, of course, the leaders, the CEOs, but everyone's been trying to find ways to help everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. Richard, how did you in the short term uh, of, of last year reflect on data, evidence, information to make decisions and continue to reflect on those decisions week after week, month after month? Well, I guess you you adapt again quickly. I mean, you know, of, in a normal year, if you look at, you know, if we, if we break it down to the basics of financials, you know, a basic uh, or a normal year, if you if you want to use that that term, would all be about P&Ls, you know, reporting, you know, profit against loss, income versus expense, um, and looking at what the long-term picture is and how you travel through that. What that became very quickly in 2020 was very much a cash budget, um, how much cash was in the bank, how much cash we were forecast to look, and so very quickly did a, a forecast through to the end of October to see what our uh, position would be and, again, regularly be on top of that. So I, I guess we reverted to a cash budget, if you like, and that became a, almost a daily, every other day check to see where we were up to. Obviously, we were very fortunate, you know, like everybody else. I mean, our income pretty much stopped overnight. We lost about 80% of our income at various points last year. So we were able to qualify for various government subsidies, uh, which we, again, applied for. And so with that, and, and again, not forgetting the fact that, you know, we had the majority of our sponsors and partners who believed in who we are and what we do, who love this club beyond just the fact that, you know, this is a, these are commercial arrangements and in some respects they are, but they go beyond that. And that was very much shown last year where these partners of ours stuck with this club um, and kept, you know, providing income support for us um, because, as I said, we worked hard for them even in difficult circumstances. So their support and love, um, the, the fans continuing to support us, the players putting themselves out to do various activations for our commercial partners. We had some, you know, a, a lot less than normal, but we had some limited support from our various governing bodies, um, which was fantastic. So all of that combined really, as I said, was there day by day, looking at the balance, looking at the, um, the bank statement, making sure that our cash position at the end of October um, would be you know X figure, and that would be you know a good place to be. And I'm glad to say that we achieved that and more. So that that cash figure, that that final result that you had at the end of 2020, is is I guess one piece of data that you can use to judge how well you did. But are there others that you could include in there that can give you a read on the impact of the decisions that you made on 2020? I'm thinking about you know the wellness of your players, the happiness of everyone involved in the Ipswich Jets? Yeah, absolutely, Daniel. I mean, I, I think, as I said, I mean, that, that, what, I, what I was concentrating there, I guess, was one aspect. But certainly, as you said, there are other aspects to it and very much, uh, to give you an example, um, the players that have come back, you know, they, the mental health of our players was, again, you know, our utmost concern during last year. And we're very lucky in, in Kieran Lander and, and the support staff and the other head coaches have, again, a much more deeper relationship with player coach than the most. So, you know, Kieran very much looks after the welfare of the players as does the other head coaches. So we're always making sure that they were good in mental health. We had regular Zoom calls. We had various mental health check-ins with them. Um, And then if you look forward to 2021, we've retained probably about 90%, if not more, of those players that were registered for 2020 to come through for 2021. All of our um, support staff or the majority of those support staff are the same. 
um, coming into next year. We've got, you know, the, the, the same level of partners that we had uh, in 2020, again in 21. And in fact, we've, you know, increased that. So certainly that, uh, I guess, ability, you know, we've, everybody's looked to the fact that 2020, as I said, was not about necessarily the balance sheet, but it was also about really seeing the culture of this club come to life. Um, and, and is it as strong as we thought it would be? And, and hands down, it, it is because, you know, as I said, everybody's come out the other side and have committed to the future of this club for the long term. An amazing result, Richard. I mean, given, given the crisis in 2020, to have those sorts of figures to spruik for the Ipswich Jets is a, an amazing result. Yeah, and as I said, I mean, I, I again, it, it's you know, I feel very humbled that I'm that I'm the one doing the the spruiking for this. But I mean, and, and again, I can't. It's unfair to, to to go by name by name. We could be here a whole podcast just me reading off names. But you know, from Steve Johnson, our chairman, through to the board, and through to our old boys through to the players, you know, as I said, a strong head coach, a great admin team and everybody and fans and, and partners and sponsors. You know, this is, it's really funny. I did a presentation afternoon at the end of last year and um, got quite emotional at the end because, you know, when I took this job on, um, it was it was a job and I keep or I kept hearing about the, the love of this club and it, it's very, you know, it's something that you'll understand and get at one point and, and I think, you know, it's now truly hit me um, that this becomes, this is not a job. This is something that, you know, they it is very much a family and against cliche, I appreciate, but it's something that, you know, I, I love this club. I love the job I do. And that is mirrored by everybody I would suggest that's associated with this club. We're in 2021 now and, uh, you know, fingers crossed, we're getting close to the end of the COVID crisis. So have you had time, Richard, to think about, how well you did in 2020, what the wins were, what possibly some of the mistakes were, and reflect on any learning that you could have gained from that process. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, again, yes, it's, it's, good, it's good to reflect, and we certainly did that at the end of 2020. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's something that, as you said, you know, hopefully we're, we're towards or a different, at least a different way of doing things, but some some aspects of, of normality um, going forward. So look, certainly I, I think when you look at the way we did things in 2020 as a whole um, at every level, I would suggest there are very few things that we could have done differently. I mean, certainly there's various things that we could have possibly done, but within the realms of understanding people's, I guess, breaking points at the time, various you know uh, understandings of people's uncertainty, I, I believe that you know we... As a, as a group um, and as decisions made and as as I said as culture commitment passion and a balance sheet all come together to show I would suggest we couldn't have done much differently in 2020 so going forward to 2021 I think again what it enabled us to do was start on the 1st of November last year with a very clear picture um, and a reset of again what we plan to do into the future and, and we will have to do things differently absolutely but I don't think the lessons or the lessons learned from 2020 is the fact that I think we did extremely well in changing circumstances. And I would, I would suggest there's not a lot that we would vary if we had to go through it again. And certainly your, I think your results for the Jets would definitely show that. Yeah, absolutely. Richard, we're going to move now into questions that are related to this week of learning uh, for this course, um, where, where we're focusing on the idea of rationality 
in business decision making. I think it's something that would be good to reflect on your significant decisions around the COVID crisis, that idea of being rational. We explore this classical decision theory, which is underpinned by rationality, and, and rational decision making assumes that decision maker is making decisions in situations of complete certainty, which you know last year was definitely anything but that. Um, so they're objective, um, they have all the information they need to make that informed decision, and, and so they can carefully consider all the possible options and the consequences of those options before selecting the best course of action. 2020 was the absolute opposite of that. So obviously, you know, I, I think I know the answer to this question. Do you think it's possible to have rationality in reality? I, I think, and again, if you want to, in some respects, push COVID to one side for the moment because it becomes, you know, one would hope that, you know, 100 years will pass before we have to have the conversation again. But, you know, a good, again, you know, a real-world example from from my perspective is that, you know, I was already at the end of last year putting in plans in place for 2021. So in some respects, that's not a long-term strategy, you know, 12 months. But, again, to show how things change, I mean, I put those plans in place and then by the end of Christmas holidays, I'm too staffed down. So, you know, even with the best of intentions, you can put, a 12-month plan in place um, with all of the rationale that you've got at the time. But unfortunately, you know, there's things that, that are out of your control that derails, um, the, you know, the best of intentions. I think, you know, the resources of people is sometimes underestimated. Having the, the good, the best people and the right people is essential. Um, and so what you get from that is you have to put in place, you know, good plans, but ultimately these things may change. And then it's all about, um, adapting those plans around the resources of people. So more broadly, uh, you know, not sort of thinking so much about COVID, but more broadly across the years, would, do you think that, you know, business decision making can be rational or should be rational always? I think to make, you know, the best decisions, you've got to be as rational as possible. But obviously there's uh, variables that come into play that make that rational thinking sometimes difficult to, to, for a decision maker. You know, personal bias, objectivity. Um, I think, you know, some people don't always have the ability to make hard decisions, which affects that rational thinking. And also, you know, there's a fear of being wrong. So, again, as, as rational as, as people want to be, it, it's something that I think not everybody can achieve. What sort of culture um, do you have to put in place at an organisation to try and support rational decision-making? Um, well, I think, you know, one of the things that um, I've always tried to be in, in, in my role and every role I've done is, is very is collaborative. Certainly, for, for an example, when I present a budget to the board, I use the same budget that I present to my team. Um, so it's not, for example, just a high-level budget that sits in a drawer and comes out when I have to do my reporting. It's something that I have a collaborative approach. I go through line by line so that everybody understands the decisions they make are based on not just, and again, I, I, I guess when I do my budget, I don't just have a figure. I have a figure with an explanation next to it as to how that figure is reached. Now, that's, a, that's a, I guess, a very, you know, a slightly long-winded approach. But what that does, it gives some narrative around the figures and people nod their head because they understand. And that understanding comes from transparency. That understanding comes from collaboration. So when people are making their decisions and rational decisions based on 
whatever their spend might be or whatever their, you know, when I'm talking to them about commercial income or uh, merchandise sales or whatever it might be, it's based on a budget that they're aware of, but not just a figure uh, that I've picked out of nowhere. They understand how that figure has been got to, why it's important and how it makes up the overall picture. So it's, again, looking at the overall bottom line picture, looking at their particular areas and then a narrative to that. And then when I'm doing the budget, it's also getting a culture where I am asked for input on those lines so that, again, they're not unrealistic. They are figures that I want people to be excited about because they see it as achievable and understand the narrative around them. That's a really interesting way of looking at numbers, Richard, that um, they're not just figures on a page, but they're actual stories that relate to the bigger story of the Ipswich Jets altogether. Yeah, 100%. And, and, and it really, you know, to me, from, from as long as I've been doing this type of leadership roles, it, it really has helped because, as you said, you know, I, I've come into various roles through my time where people are just so demotivated and so non-inspired because they've been given a figure to reach. Even targets, for example, um, you know, even if I set targets and put um, some incentives around reaching those targets, they are done so and then I talk through how they are achievable and people get excited because they see that, that they can actually achieve this stuff. There's no point putting X figure down and saying, good luck, see you in six months where I have to wrap you over the knuckles because you didn't get it. It's about small steps and obviously in that there's some extreme end to it to go this is your utopia if you get to this you know we'll open a bottle of champagne and put fireworks um, on the harbour but up until then there's there's stages and I see you can achieve this because this is what we're going to do this is what we've currently got this is what we've got in the fire ready to go this is how we're going to do it are you on board yes I am yes I'm excited let's go and do it so you know, every, every aspect, it's, a, it's all about collaboration. Is there also some individual sort of intuition, a gut instinct to that decision-making process that you draw on? Interestingly, um, even, even thinking back to taking on this role, um, as I said, you know, I wasn't necessarily, uh, had, well, I had no experience in sports administration and I had no knowledge of the switch region. And upon reflection, upon getting the job and talking to, to our chairman, you know, I said that when I walked into the interview, you know, you, you prepare yourself for, you know, the, the obvious question of what's your strengths and what your weaknesses are. And, and the weakness I came up with was the fact that, as I said, I, sports administration is not something I know of and Ipswich is not an area that I know particularly well. And he reflected the complete opposite view and said, well, that was your strength. The strength you could come in as a fresh set of commercial eyes. You could look at this organisation, treat it as a business first and foremost, and uh, get us to, you know, to, you know, we're successful on the field. We just need to be able to have a business that sustains that that success there. Um, and so my gut instinct, you know, if, if at the time I was thinking, can I really do this? You know, I know nothing realistically about rugby league, let alone netball. Can I do this? And then again, going back to the start, you know, the fundamentals of running a business um, are the same. You know, if you've got confidence, if you've got good leadership, if you, you know, are able to do as you say you're going to do, then, you know, as I said, that the fundamentals of success are the same regardless. That's that's fantastic that you can draw on those experiences and, and then add them to this completely new thing to you of, of sports management, of being the CEO of a sports organisation, that they considered you, but also that you considered yourself for um, such a role. And, and I'm sure, as you say, that it's really interesting that you can there, therefore bring something different 
to that mix than than someone who's just been in those sorts of positions in the past and, and nowhere else would, would otherwise bring. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, we probably are a little bit different at the Jets compared to, to, to other clubs. In respect that that's how we approached it because, you know, that was what was needed at the time. And, you know, luckily we've got a board um, and a chair that understands that and, and saw that as, as, a, as a different way to go. And, you know, over my time, I mean, the love of the game, the love of the people, the love of the, of the region has grown inside me. But the fundamental reason I was put into this position was to, you know, make the Ipswich Jets, you know, a, a commercial, sustainable, financially viable organisation that would be around for, you know, the next 50, 100 years. And I'm, you know, extremely confident that that will be the case. We've set some great things in place um, for our legacy, for people coming after and, and beyond that to, to be able to carry this on. So I think that, yeah, that's, you know, approaching it from a different way sometimes is good and in some respects is essential. Richard Hughes, CEO of the Ipswich Jets, it's been an insightful discussion on decision-making and thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate your time. Information about our guests can always be found in the podcast show notes in your podcast app or on the course site. This has been a University of Southern Queensland podcast produced by the Office for the Advancement of Learning and Teaching.